Let's uh, begin our time together with a word of prayer. We love being together, Lord. We love being together with you. This is a comfortable place. This is a good place to be. We pray, Lord, that as much as we gravitate to those places that are comfortable, those places that we like to be, that we not settle here, but we are simply to be refueled and recharged, to be in a world that is unsettled, that's not so comfortable, taking us places where we may not choose to go, but be willing to be there because you have sent us. You have sent us as your disciples, as witnesses for Christ, We pray, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, as familiar as it is to us, may we not simply be comfortable with it because we know it so well. May we find in it again those proddings, those moments when you would push us to look deeper and find in them in the Scriptures the truths that will not make us comfortable, but will make us servants willing to give all that we have for the cause of Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. I encourage you to open your Bibles or uh, your iPads or your phones and turn to Luke 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'd like to read that and let you follow along as we consider this our text for this morning. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to have eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you will spend, I will repay when I come back. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It was the opinion of several resources that I was using in preparation for this morning's message that the parable of the Good Samaritan is probably one of the best known and maybe even most popular Bible story that's embraced by Christians and non-Christians alike. It's amazing how this uh, reference to a Good Samaritan creeps into our lives and is associated with things that somehow are to represent good care. We have at the Avent Christian Village what we call our Good Samaritan Center, which is a full-service full or uh, skilled nursing facility for, for the elderly. There's also, I know, of a Good Samaritan Hospital. Um, I can remember when we had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land, we were in a bus going on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, a narrow road, that is shadowed by huge boulders on each side. But there was this turnout on the side of the road and back off the road was this building with a sign above the door, the Good Samaritan Inn. Now I'm sure it's not the one where this gentleman stopped to take care of the, the one who fell at the robbers, but uh, it goes to show that there are some associations that uh, are characterized by some identity with the Good Samaritan. Our daily depressing news sources have a tendency sometimes to just you know, snatch one of those great stories and refer to it as a story of a deed or a Good Samaritan act. And uh, they, they, I think they do that somehow to somehow reassure us that there are some good people in this world and they want us not to forget that. I went online to just look up some Good Samaritan stories I'm going to share one, uh, I think, with the group during our discipleship hour. But just some, some headliners that introduce some of these stories interested me. There was one from the um, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Oregon Weather Channel. It reads, man frees more than 20 drivers stuck on an icy ramp during storm. That was a good Samaritan act, wasn't it? Yeah. Then we got in the New York Times... Black state trooper helps an ailing white supremacist protester. Um, there's a network called the goodnewsnetwork.org. One of their headliners was, American synagogue wel welcomes Muslims whose mosque was damaged by fire. Uh, one that the ABC News carried, white police officer comforts five-year-old black girl as protests for social justice. Good acts, good deeds, all associated with the thought of good Samaritans involved in these duties, these acts. As these stories of modern day good Samaritans are shared and I think probably also celebrated, the focus is always on the good deed or possibly on the one who did the good deed. Serves as a reminder, again as I said earlier, to, re to just suggest that there are some good people in this world. But it needs to be remembered, however, that Jesus was hitting on matters much deeper than, do, than just doing good deeds. 
There was much more of a matter that Jesus was addressing when he was speaking to this self-righteous lawyer. He was, asking, he was answering questions that had to deal with life itself. There's more to it than just being kind to one another. You remember the first question that the lawyer, the lawyer who, who is steeped in the law, the, the Hebraic law, the Jewish law, he knew it inside and out. And so he asks the question, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Possibly even imagining what the answer might be. To which Jesus responded with two questions. What is written in the law? And how do you read it? The knowledge of the lawyer is exposed when he recites what we refer to today as the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. And I can just hear kind of rip that thing off, you know, because he's got it memorized. He knows it by heart. The words are lifted actually from the scriptures themselves, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. His knowledge is commended by Jesus. He exposed his knowledge of the word, but now he exposes his heart when he seeks to justify himself with another question. And I, I let you, you know, I've told you before, I imagine these, these unfolding stories in the scriptures. And I see, see in this man almost a certainty, uh, so once more of who he is and what he's all about when he says, well, all right, who's my neighbor? Remember, he's, trying to, he's, he's testing Jesus. He's, he's putting him on, on the spot. Jesus was addressing the coldness of a legalistic, prejudiced practice of religion. Jesus then, through the parable of the Good Samaritan, was calling out the hate that was in this man's own life and the hate of the Jewish people against others. Jesus was calling out racism. Jesus was calling out a sense of superiority over others. Jesus was saying that eternal life is awarded to those who first love God and also love their fellow man, remembering that each of us is made in the image of God. When the lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbor? It's like to suggest I have some non-neighbors, <laughs> people that I don't associate with. So how do they fit in? People who will go against the law, how do they fit in? He was asking, to whom am I to relate to? Define my circle of relationships, Jesus. As a Jewish authority of the law, he considered his circle of relationships to be defined by race and by religion. And it was the same for the priest and the Levite. Their relationships were defined by the law, by rules. If you will, their traditions, their habits of a religion. Like in, likeness in beliefs, likeness in practice of faith, likeness because they're like me. 
The one who merely obeys rules is serving himself and is not serving God. We can only serve God by loving him and loving others. Remember, a priest's job was to officiate the the temple sacrifices. And the Levites, they were to help maintain the temple and its services. Both of these jobs required of them to remain clean, ceremonially clean, while on duty. There was a list of things that they couldn't do, and one of them was to touch a dead body or any bodily fluid such as blood. And they have come upon this man who appears to be dead, and his body is torn and bleeding. So, couldn't touch him. Got to stay clean. We don't know if they're on the, the way for some type of uh, service to the temple or the synagogue, or we don't know that they have just completed that service and they want to remain clean until sundown. These religious leaders were more concerned with their outward appearance of cleanliness than the actual condition of their hearts. It brings to mind a conversation that Jesus had, and it's recorded later in the Gospel of Luke, that he had with some of the religious leaders. This is what Jesus said in Luke eleven thirty nine. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Jesus knows our hearts. The three of them, the lawyer, the priest, the Levite, represent people who are caught up in a lifeless religion checking boxes by keeping the rules. It might be in some ways similar to those today who belong to the church but are far from what the church is supposed to be, the body of Christ. Or claiming that Christ is Lord but choosing not to live under his lordship. Beyond this adherence to the law, I think we all can make a list of reasons why these gentlemen would not stop. You have to remember that this victim is one, uh, a victim of robbery. He was assaulted. And this particular road from Jerusalem to Jericho was named at the time of Jesus the pathway of blood because there were so many frequent in- incidences of assaults on the travelers themselves. So to take the risk to stop Alone with this man? It could happen to me just what happened to him. And besides, as, as the length of the day comes and, and the shadows from the sunset are beginning to, to cover the top of the rocks, who knows what's behind each one of those boulders? There's a time factor. i got to get home. <laughs> My family's waiting for me. Or I have a ceremony I have to perform. Or whatever it might be. We set our agenda by our clocks. We've got we to stay on schedule. And then I think there's also the possibility, as they look at this man and choose to go by, they're taking kind of a self-inventory. So, well, I haven't got anything I can give this guy to help him. He's, he's beyond anything I can do. Maybe somebody else will come along and, and, and can take care of the situation. Dismissing ourselves because we feel ill-equipped 
and we choose not to be involved at all. It's amazing when you read this story, though they are not included in the list of excuses, I think it does suggest for all of us that when maybe in similar situations, how quick the excuses come and how easy they are to make. The love that the lawyer spoke of was in his law. He was in love with the law. There was no love in his life. The very commands he would have known by heart, as well as the priests and the Levites. It was the daily practice of the Jewish people to quote the memory, of memory, uh, the Shema. It, It read just as we have read it this morning. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It was put to memory, and the day would begin like that. And the words that would be followed in that same text, listen to this, that same, that same text where the command is given to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the very words that follow are these. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your home. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. This word should be a part of Every moment of the day, from the time you get up to the time you lie down, and it's to be in the heart. It was a common practice for these religious leaders to wear what is called a phylactery on one's forehead or on one's wrists. And all a phylactery was was a leather box or a pouch. And in these pouches were were small rolls of parchment in which these very laws were inscribed. And so they were wearing the word, the scriptures, the law, either on their wrists or on their forehead, coming from the book of the law. And you can be certain that this great commandment would have been included in that pouch. They carried the scriptures, they read the scriptures, They could recite the scriptures, but they failed living out the scriptures. It would be the outsider, the one hated by the lawyer, the priest, and the Levite, who would bear witness to the love that is contained in these commands as instructed by God himself. I want you to picture the Samaritan coming off his donkey without hesitation, to respond to this man in need. There is no pause to determine if the fallen man was one of my own. No hesitancy caused him to think of the risk that he might be taking. Not concern about the delay in his journey as he stops to treat the stranger's wounds. Tending to him with expensive oil, and also wine, very, very expensive ointment. 
and sharing possibly to quench the thirst. Imagining him tearing clean, very expensive cloth, perhaps the very garments that he himself was wearing, to bind up the leading man, to hoist this dirty, blood-stained stranger on his own donkey, and his own skin and his own clothes, stained with the gore and the grime. Filled with compassion, he ignores the position of the sun and cares nothing for the inconvenience or the interruption. Takes him to an inn, where there he is invest- his investment costs him at least two days' wages, and commits to come back again to check on his welfare and to settle all accounts. Jesus finishes the parable. Can you imagine the silence? Then Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? There is a dryness in his response. For he could not bring himself to say, the Samaritan. He would say only, the one who showed him mercy. Hmm. And Jesus says to the lawyer, you go and do likewise. Let us not lose the truth of this passage due to its familiarity. May it remind us of the dangers of being comfortable and self-righteous in our religious ways. We may carry the scriptures in the form of a t-shirt or a necklace or earrings or the bumper sticker or the frame around our license plate. We may read the scriptures by opening the pages of the Bible, checking it out on our iPad or our phone or on the computer. We may, be, may even be able to recite some of the scriptures that were taught to us when we were so young and impressionable. But we must not fail in living out the scriptures. Go and do likewise. The symbolism in the story is striking. The Samaritan was hated by the religious leaders. So was Jesus. The Samaritan went to a half-dead man to rescue him. As did Jesus as we were dying in our sins. The Samaritan bound up the man's wounds, as has Jesus, for by his stripes we are healed. The Samaritan rescued the man from certain death, as did Jesus rescue us from the penalty of sin by taking our death to his death on a cross. The Samaritan did all of this out of love for someone who could never repay him. So did Jesus do it for you and for me.
was just last Sunday, we concluded the message with these words. As Jesus had been in the upper room with his disciples, and many of them not choosing to really follow the example of Christ, shunning the responsibility of serving one another, he takes up the towel and the bowl, washes their feet, becomes their servant. And upon completing this menial task as their teacher, their master, their servant, he says to them, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. We're going to approach the Lord's table and keep this in mind that what Jesus has done for us is an example of what we are to do to one another and to those who are broken and wounded and set aside to be forgotten and ignored. That's our role, to go into this world in the name of Christ. Go and do likewise.